In London, technology is the Silicon Roundabout. Introducing a new talk show dedicated to the people of the London technology startup scene. Silicon Real. Each week, interviewing entrepreneurs, venture capitalists, financial technology, accelerators, and incubators in an exciting three-person format. Learn about the people behind the innovation. Locally filmed, locally sourced. Silicon Real. It's about the people. This is Silicon Real, the weekly talk show dedicated to the people of the London technology startup scene. I am Brian Rose. I also host London Real. It's the same studio, but it's not just tech. We got uh, uh, rock stars. We've had politicians like George Galloway that came in here and talked all sorts of craziness. We've had whistleblowers like uh, CIA agent Ray McGovern last week, filmmakers, authors. It gets pretty crazy. So check that out at LondonReal.tv. But today we're here to talk tech. My co-host is entrepreneur Colin Pyle, uh, making coffee. Uh, owning the coffee world, which is a big space, a competitive space, right? Very competitive. How's it going at Crew Cafe? Yeah, it's good, man. Just uh, back from Toronto. I was back home last week for a wedding and, uh, you know, entrepreneur troubles. The shipment goes missing for about 48 hours, which was lots of fun. But uh, yeah, things are going good. Some big news coming up. New website launched, and uh, yeah, just plowing forward. So, excellent. Yeah, excellent. Yeah. That's good, man. Well, uh, we like to see this. You know, fulfillment is one of those hard things. So if yeah. you get that right, then, then surely you get to the win. world is sick of coffee by now. <laughs> yeah, no, it's 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 a drug. I'm you know I'm a, I'm a legal drug. You're dealer. a drug dealer, yeah. right? Um, <laughs> all right, fantastic. On with the show. Our guest today is Mr. Mike Butcher, who is the editor at large for TechCrunch, where you report about startups, venture cap, and technology trends. You're also the the co-founder of Tech Hub, uh, which we all know is the global community and workspace for tech entrepreneurs. You also, also are the founder of C- Codec, the Coalition for the Digital Economy. That's a non-profit. That's a non-profit. You guys lobby for legislation for tech in the UK. And uh, on top of all that, you were uh, one of Wired UK's top 100 annual influencers in 2010, 2011, 2012, 2014. Jesus, Mike. Uh, that's a lot of influence. I think there must have been a, a typo mistake somewhere along the line. <laughs> you, uh, I think, are a grunge, wa- uh, grunge rock drummer disguised as a journalist. Mike, thanks for coming. Welcome to Silicon Reel. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, guys. No, it's a pleasure. It's, uh, you know, you have a very unique style, Mike. It's uh, kind of no bullshit. Uh, you really give it to people straight, and I think that's kind of why they're drawn to you. Uh, you've got some great videos on the web. You have one that's called How to Deal with Tech Media, which I encourage any entrepreneur to watch because it's kind of from Mike's standpoint of what not to send him. Don't, hit, don't send him uh, invites to your launch party. Uh, don't send him. Well, <laughs> no, you can, sure, by all means, invite me to the launch party, but don't expect it to be considered to be news. That's right. all he, I'm he a purple cow, not a black and white cow. Exactly. And, and that's what makes news. I, I even learned something. I, 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 came, I came, it was as how to, how to deal with the tech media. Um, it's just, you can Google it, Mike Butcher, how to deal with tech media. It's just a bunch of slides and there's a video as well about uh, a speech I give, you know, fairly regularly. I mean, I think a lot, I've done it quite a lot now, but it was only, I was born out of frustration that um, many technology entrepreneurs don't know how to pitch their uh, startup. And when you're doing a startup, you can't afford expensive PR people and, and things like that. So you, you have to pitch the media yourself. And they weren't doing it right. Uh, and especially often in Europe, when uh, you're dealing with the technology entrepreneurs talking in their second language into English, uh, for instance. So it was just trying to help people, really. And also from the perspective of the journalist. 
Um, a lot of PR people, uh, you know, God love them, they do their job, but they, they, look, they do it from the perspective of how you PR something rather than from the perspective of the journalist. And so that was what I was just trying to get across, yeah. Right. I also saw you on stage. You said something to an entrepreneur that was pitching. You said 2004 called and wants its pitch back. Uh, so <laughs> you're, not, you're not afraid to, to give them the real deal. Uh, <laughs> well, I have actually made an entrepreneur cry, actually, on stage just one. once. Just one. Um, um, I think I've maybe once, more than once. Um, I, I don't do it on purpose. I, I do it, uh, I'm, I think often perhaps to some extent there is a, a, a usefulness in sort of shocking people into really rethinking how they're coming across. Uh, in, uh, not just because uh, we do it just for fun, but for, to, to allow them to sort of really look outside the, themselves and work out, hold on a minute, I'm not getting across what I'm trying to say here. And the thing is, is, is it wouldn't really, nobody would really care, particularly were it not for the fact that 50% of what entrepreneurs do is about communication. They're trying to get across a new idea or a new concept. Uh, and that's what, you know, if you can't communicate, then you're, you know, you're not going to get halfway there. You spend a lot of time uh, in the States and you obviously cover, you know, tech, tech worldwide. Um, I mean, when the Yanks see you, they must think this is the most un-British guy we would ever expect because you're not the reserveness. You know, maybe you're not even British. So maybe that's <laughs> why. But I mean, it, do you think that's why they embrace you as well? Because it's something kind of different? Um, I've, I've, I uh, actually I have a long history of working with um, U.S. North American company, uh, companies in the media. I was uh, one of the early journalists on the Industry Standard back in the day in the dot-com boom and bust. Yeah. And uh, in my capacity as a, an editor of a, a business weekly here in the UK uh, called New Media Rage uh, back in the day, uh, I met plenty of uh, North Americans. So I you know, got used to the culture uh, and how to, you know, how to interact. Um, I guess also I'm a little bit of a runt in the sense that I moved around as a kid. I, I uh, didn't stick around much in one place. Uh, with my, f- my family moved around a lot, and so I just had to kind of come out of myself and make friends real fast because I knew I'd be moving on in a couple of years. So maybe that's what happened to me as a, as a person, I suppose. Did you ever expect you would be uh, doing technology journalism, say, 10 years ago? Absolutely not. <laughs> uh, well, 10 years ago I, I was definitely in the space, but when I was starting out as a journalist... I, I started out as a generalist. I was on the uh, Hammersmith and Fulham Chronicle uh, newspaper, <laughs> <That sounds cool. laughs> Down awesome. with the Massive. Uh, it was a w- wonderful newspaper. We used to, um, yeah, there was really only two stories uh, in Hammersmith back in the day, which was, um, uh, it was a £25,000 Rolex watch stolen off the Fulham Palace Road. Uh, or drug death on the Peabody estate. There was literally nothing else. There were, uh, nobody was tripping over cracked pavements or you know, complaining to the council about the trees or something. It was just literally one massively rich people or incredibly poor people, uh, but rich people or poor people. And so it was kind of quite fun to cut my teeth in the sort of, you know, sort of knockabout world of, of newspaper journalism. Was it hard-nosed news journalist guys who would hard drink hard and work hard and did they teach you about a deadline? And was there it... was a lot of going to the pub, definitely. Okay. Uh, I, I, you totally packs got... Packs of cigarettes? Well, <laughs> I, oh gosh, the chain smoking amongst <laughs> pu- reporters is notorious, but the other thing I think also is like it does teach you about deadlines. You know, when, and on some of the, the uh, systems back in the day and even today to some extent is, you know, you write copy and, and the sub-editor would just like, it's not, you, you know, you, you run out of time and they just take it straight off your screen. You'd be halfway through writing it on and then they'd finish it off and send it off to the, to the printer. But uh, 
so it did definitely sort of give you a concentrated the mind, shall we say. Do you wish some days that some of the bloggers out there would have had like a hard print deadline so they could know what, what it's really like? Or do you think that's just old people talking? Ah, uh, well... <laughs> I mean, I mean, I, there's you know, there's great things that to be learnt from between like the traditional journalism and the and the new style of journalism. I think one of the things that attracted me towards sort of blogging, and when I when I started my own personal blog, for instance, back in uh, well, back in the early two thousands, um, the really fun thing was it was a, it was a kind of like jazz music. It was it was a different uh, just riffing on things right. and you're just putting things out and all of a sudden you could say anything you liked more or less within the bounds of libel law or whatever and um, so it's much more freer and I, I think and um, Michael Arrington who started TechCrunch um, uh, had, came up eventually with this rather interesting phrase around what he called process journalism which was basically putting information out there that you knew and then waiting for the community to come back with, with more and then you know and then putting it out again and, and that sort of interesting feedback loop which it actually it still still exists to this day actually especially in North America where you can you, you, freedom of speech is, is fantastic wow. yeah, so it's really interesting um, uh, the, uh, the new style of journalism and it, I think it's still going on today as well though we're still exploring it you know with things like social media Right. Uh, let's talk about Disrupt, because you were just in San Francisco about a week and a half ago. Uh, I saw you on stage with uh, Kevin Hart uh, and, uh, from Eventbrite, who we had in that chair a few months ago. And uh, Disrupt just seemed to be like a big deal. It seems like uh, there's a, some big people on the stage, like Mark Cuban, uh, the Uber CEO. And it sounds like you're talking about real issues. I was wondering, first of all, can you talk about what Disrupt is? Because I know it's a TechCrunch product. And also, what does the Valley feel like? Because we don't know here. All we do is read the report. And we don't know how it feels there. And does it feel different, say, than when you were there a year ago? Do you see any of those mentalities leaking over here? I think, um, well, because of what I do, and I, since I've been working for TechCrunch and since, uh, well, I was freelancing in 2006 and I fully came on board on 2007, um, that over the years, Europe has got much more of a, European entrepreneurs have had a much more of a, a Silicon Valley mindset, uh, shall we say, you know, basically move fast, break things, you know, throw up minimum viable products, if that's not too jargony, um, and just to see, you know, throw things against the wall and see what sticks. And that's, we definitely took on that culture. Um, and the other thing I think that happened, uh, but, but I think one thing that we need to always remember is that, you know, when you read blogs like TechCrunch or Giga Om, Read Write, uh, Read Web, Recode, all of those guys, um, you are getting a, a flavour, an impression of, of the valley and the vibe there, but it's not quite the same as being there. Um, and I think it, the great thing actually about the, va- the valley is particularly and is that they are very open. Uh, they're very, you know, they're, you, you could literally parachute into town and go, listen, I don't really know anybody, who can I go and see? And people will pretty much generally help you out. And uh, because it, it's, it's practically it's an immigrant culture. I mean, it's... Um, it's in the, the West Coast is, you know, the frontier mentality right. of the U.S. Uh, and so, you know, anyone coming into town is, is very welcome, you know, the more the merrier. Uh, it's much smaller, it's also a much smaller city than you realise. Uh, people know everybody, you, know, you pretty much know everybody virtually if you, if you really get into the thing, into the, under the skin of it. Um, yeah, people and it, forget, San Fran's like, what, 
850,000 people. Yeah, it's, 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 it's not small. big, yeah. not, 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 not by many standards, yeah. 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 But, uh, of course, the interesting thing about it, of course, is, as we all know, is this high concentration of, of people in, in the technology industry. And literally, I was in Dolores Park uh, just before Disrupt um, uh, and just chilling out with some beers with some people at a barbecue. And, you know, all around me, <laughs> practically could hear people talking about what they were working on or what they were going to launch or who they were run, raising money from. Um, it was a little bit, <laughs> yeah. quite a heady atmosphere. Is it too much sometimes? Do you feel like you had to come home to London to unplug and hear? a conversation about banking or media or, <laughs> or fashion or something well i think there is something nice about especially european cities where uh yeah people are in variety of industries um it's something heady and exciting about being in in, in a city which is very dominated by one industry like technology uh and if that if that's what you're in um and of course but of course i know people um, who, uh, who literally just, they've got to get away from it all. Uh, a friend of mine, an entrepreneur in San Francisco, was going out with another entrepreneur and it all got too much to him and he just he ended that relationship and went out with somebody who wasn't in tech at all, you know, uh, somebody in the art, arts, art world. And so just so that he could, you know, decompress in a different way. Uh, perhaps that's one of the reasons why Burning Man has become so popular mm. is it's a way for these, these people to decompress and not talk about technology whatsoever right for a week maybe for a whole week <laughs> have Sorry. you have you been a, to, are you a burner i'm i'm going to confess i have not been to burning man no although i i feel like i've been around so many people who have that i could quite easily fake <laughs> fake going yes yeah i had a really great burn <laughs> because, because burning man was it was just before the disruptor just after because it was right around that time it's, it's, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's traditionally just before yeah. you know it's sort of the end of august so after um, yeah. the burn, they go to disrupt. Yeah, but it's only become much more dominated by well, not dominated. I think is the wrong phrase, but certainly uh, quite a, a high concentration of technology people, people in the tech industry, go to Burning Man now. Over the last say few years, uh, previously it wasn't wasn't nearly so associated with the technology community. Talk to us about Disrupt. How long has it yeah. been going on in San Francisco? What was the idea about it? And what makes it different because it's put on by a media company as opposed to one of those huge conference companies, which is the rest of what conferences are put on by? I think, well, actually, you make a very good point. Um, I think that the, the thing about us is that because we are uh, primarily we're, we're a journalistic organization, and so when we want to do uh, a conference uh, we basically put people on stage that we want to wring news out of. Right. And that's very different to your average uh, conference where you'll get a bunch of people on stage, and um, as, as good as they are and as, as interesting and fascinating as they can be, uh, they tend not to be there to be questioned. And I think that's, that's what's different about us and when we do a technology conference, when we do Disrupt. Uh, our, our conference um, that we put the, these people on stage with journalists with our our team and the journalist just sits there and and grills them for 20 minutes 20 minutes or half an hour and uh, and that's the idea and you know good uh, hands hands up to these people who, who go on stage and have a journalist grill them in front of thousands of people and yeah. 50,000 people on the live stream uh, or whatever it is but the uh, but that's what makes it different so it, we, we really do try and get some real value out of it as uh, at the event and I think the other thing is also with our our TechCrunch uh, startup alley where people just line up and you can literally walk down this line of of small or medium-sized startups and just get pitched relentlessly so 
for investors, it's fantastic because they get all this deal flow and, and, and the entrepreneurs themselves can just wander up and down and just make tons of contacts super fast. And it's an annual conference in San Francisco. Well, it's annually in San Francisco once a year. It's annual in New York once a year in about April, May. And we're now uh, doing it in Europe. As of last year, we started it in Berlin, and um, uh, which was very successful uh, at the first European uh, TechCrunch Disrupt conference. And we're doing it again this year in October. Quick plug, October 20 to 21, uh, 21st of October this, this year in uh, London. And uh, we'll, I'm afraid I can't give you guys some exclusive about speakers just yet. I Sorry, breaking news. <laughs> but uh, I can tell you that we'll, have a, we'll bring a bunch of people over from the Valley. And we'll have the cream of the crop of the European uh, entrepreneurs and investors. So it should be fun. You wrote an article that went out this morning in City AM, uh, City AM that said London tech, it's more than just hype. And it, you know, it talked a lot about how there's more fintech jobs here now than in New York, about you know, the big amounts of money that are getting thrown around, a billion dollars worth of companies acquired here privately you know, this year. Um, and now the t- Disrupt is honoring London. Is, is London grown up now? London has definitely grown up and it's been, gr- it's been growing up for thousands of years. But it's, <laughs> it's, uh, the great thing about it is that I think it's, it's, very, it's very unusual that a city will have not just uh, one industry dominating, but many industries of inc- massive size. So in London, you have the financial industry, financial tech industry is very big. You have a fashion industry is very big. Media is big. Arts, culture, me, you know, you name it. So all these vertical industries are all equally big. And I think that's the thing about London. The opportunity for Europeans also, I think, is, is rather interesting because, you know, we're a stone throw from continental Europe is that we can build effectively the Silicon Valley of fashion, the Silicon Valley of music, the Silicon Valley of media, uh, what have you, um, in, in Europe and, and particularly out of London because it's, it's got this great confluence of, of big industries. Uh, um, I mean, that's not to take away from the capability of the valley, which can never be underestimated. But these guys build big cloud platforms, big APIs, big platform plays, whereas our vertical, our ability to create big companies in these big verticals uh, is, is, is increasingly, increasingly important. Does it feel like sometimes the Valley doesn't have that industry depth where they don't have like the huge media depth or fashion depth or even the banking industry that they are building like the tech platforms, but they mm. don't necessarily have that? Does it feel that way sometimes? Well, I mean, the, the, valley, the valley is incredibly robust and, you know, you can throw anything at it and it'll just eat it up or, and take it on board. I mean, I think that the, the, the valley mentality, though, is not, is not just about one place. You know, it's been said very often, I'm sure you've heard it before, the phrase that Silicon Valley is no longer a place, it's a state of mind. So if you have that state of mind, you can do anything uh, in the sense that, you know, you're a kid in a back bedroom in, in Moscow and you can come up with something like Cut the Rope from Zepto Labs, uh, which is a massive sort of breakout game. Uh, or you can, come, you can sit in Copenhagen and come up with Zendesk, which ended up floating on NASDAQ. So that's the important thing. The interesting thing is that Valley, the Valley and, and San Francisco... And New York as well, I guess, also. Um, they, do, they do love to disrupt. They do and to over, overuse that phrase, sorry. <laughs> uh, but they do love to be super disruptive. Um, they're not particularly... Um, uh, they're not obsequious to existing industries. 
uh, one or two, sometimes I get a little bit, um, there are one or two companies I come across now and again uh, who really, they try to sidle up to an existing industry and sort of solve a fairly small problem rather than what I like to say is uh, holding a 44 Magnum to the head of a big company or a big industry and saying, you know, do you feel lucky punk, basically, <laughs> which is more, much more fun if you ask me. <laughs> right. So they like to just wreck things. Out yeah, there. take a sledgehammer. Yeah. Are you seeing like, you know, lots of innovation? I, I, you know, from over here, I look at the valley now and it's just like, you know, you watch the Silicon Valley TV show or whatever. Yeah, it's these massive TechCrunches. Tech yeah, West TV Tecr- show. exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's, That's it's, exactly it's actually a fly this, on the wall documentary. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Disrupt is exactly the same as it's portrayed in. <laughs> but uh, yeah. but you you know you see these massive pillars of the Googles and the Facebooks and you know they're just acquire 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 and yeah. and, and you know what do you see the next Facebook Google in five years? Like, is there going to be another one or is it just going to be X acquisition by? Um, well, I mean, you could look at the, the current state of play, like the big five, five or the Google, Apple, you know, uh, Amazon, Facebook, Twitter, uh, etc. cetera. Uh, funny enough, people don't really mention Microsoft much these days, or maybe with Minecraft, they, they might get back in the game. But, um, well, I think that... As, uh, let, uh, the, the, apart from obviously putting the grey flecks in my hair just for show, uh, uh, I, unfortunately I have actually been in the industry long enough to see uh, how it's progressed. And what I see is so much more happening in the last five years than even the previous ten. So we really are on a J-curve here. I mean, it's, it's, it is getting pretty ridiculous. We're walking around with the supercomputer virtually. I mean, this is, has more, the iPhone has more power famously in it than, than the, the computer that shot a man to the moon. So, um, uh, so where that goes is, you know, anybody's guess. And so actually the big, big plays are still coming. We, you know, people talk about the Internet of Things. We know it's happening and, it's, you know, it's relatively... Uh, we're only a couple of years away from somebody coming up with an absolutely massive platform around that. So... There's everything to play for. And there's all sorts of big problems that haven't been solved. Problem? Do you, do you guys like checking email, for instance? You know, come on. You know, somebody's going to come up with that solution to that. So, right. what um, is email? It's just an, it's a highly <laughs> antiquated system, right? Yeah. What is it? Yeah. So there's lots of, lots of other things like location, uh, healthcare is yeah. incredibly important. Um, you know, walking around with a device which is basically going to be like a Star Trek tricorder uh, relatively soon. So lots and lots of big things coming, definitely. You know, we talk about London a lot. What about Berlin? I know you have a lot of ties to the continent, to the Nordic areas, um, but we don't talk about it that much here in London. We do focus on ourselves. We, we do, but they, they focus on themselves in Berlin as well. Don't worry about it. They're at least as myopic as we are. I mean, they've had... <laughs> to Berlin? I, oh, I mean, not, not for tech reasons yeah, no, and not to look around. I mean, they had a big float uh, recently in the Frankfurt Exchange, but I mean, what's going on in Berlin or what's going on in the rest of Europe compared to here? That, that well, you've you got... I mean, um, I mean, the big six, I mean, arguably the biggest technology entrepreneurs out of Europe are the Samware brothers who were famous for cloning Silicon Valley companies. Right. And they'd done it, literally surrounded the, the U.S. with clones of U.S. companies, uh, you know, sort of pincer movement. Is this wrong? Um, Rocket. Is Rocket this, Internet, yeah. Right, yeah. Okay, right. I mean, incredibly successful. I mean, and... Have they gone public or are they going they're to go They're going to go yeah. public with Zalando on right. the... Frankfurt Stock Exchange is worth something like $6 billion. So, yes, this is going to give them a big cash pile 
for which they can then basically go and, and do whatever they like. Um, but to your point, um, uh, the, the, um, the, great, the interesting thing about Europe is we've ended up with a sort of a triad of London, Berlin and the Nordics being really, really big uh, hubs of innovation. So Stockholm, Helsinki um, and uh, Copenhagen and London and Berlin. And then we, um, although we've got plenty of startups coming through from southern Europe, they haven't managed to get quite the same amount of traction or uh, uh, attract quite the same level of level of attention. I don't think it's not going to be like that. For, it's not going to be like that forever, of course. Um, I was just in Lisbon, for instance, in Portugal, and uh, and some really, you know, some good companies coming out of there. Um, you know, it's a little bit, feels a bit like the Ber- Berlin with, with nicer weather. Um, <laughs> uh, they've even got a bridge which looks like San Francisco, uh, Golden Gate Bridge, actually. Huh. So, uh, so who, who knows what will happen? But th- those, go- those big three big centres um, seem to have attracted a lot of attention, especially from investors. You know, we've seen some big Series B rounds coming through here in the UK, especially in fintech, you know, TransferWise, Doodill we had on recently. And uh, you guys ran an article where you interviewed VC uh, Bill Gurley, which was called Is Winter Coming? And he said, quote, piles of public money are helping to keep private money stupid. Does it feel frothy in London to you? I mean, you, you were at the Standard back in the day. You've seen the bubble before. You were just a disrupt. How, does, how do things feel here? Well... I mean, the, the, the standard, the, the classic response, and the, the response which is correct, which is that during the dot-com boom, and you look and look all of the graphs, um, real public, real ca- cash, public cash, public money, institutional money, you know, pension funds were invested into companies which were literally worth, you know, 20 pages of A4. Uh, they really weren't, didn't have any revenues. They virtually didn't have any real sort of game plan, as it were. Um, the difference now is you've got enormous amounts of private money, venture capital mostly, going into startups. And that's risk capital. This is, you know, high net worth individuals. It's, you know, pots of cash that some institutions can set aside for risk. Uh, as opposed to uh, the public markets, um, but when companies do float now, um, they get because of the dot com boom and bust. They get the absolute, um, r- you know, put through the absolute ringer. And the companies that float these days are genuine, real companies. They've got real revenues, hundreds of millions of dollars in revenues. Look at King, Candy Crush Star Saga is an, uh, you know, big revenue generating machine. Although, of course, it's down recently on the on the markets, but it's it had a pretty good. IPO, you've got Zoopla, which IPO'd here in the in the UK on the property side. So these companies have real revenues, and that's the different the, the difference between uh, the frothiness of the the boom and bust era and and what's happening now. And and what happens now is you you get companies which really do go for traction, but they do look at the bottom line uh, far more. Yeah. You know, uh, Moshi Monsters, you know, recently laid off like 30 people and, you know, they're struggling with the mobile strategy, but, you know, they're still in the game. But I wonder what it's like for you to see kind of these kind of these UK tech 1.0 companies, you know, kind of moving back while the 2.0s kind of, you know, take the back of the Peloton or something like that or go to the front. Is that strange for you to see or is it just natural part of evolution? Is that the right way of describing what's happening here? Well, arguably, take something like lastminute.com, big established company, floated, um, earliest, biggest UK success. One right? of the earliest, do- yeah, biggest. I mean, there's the sort of poster child of the UK yeah. dot com boom with Brent Hoberman, who's still doing stuff today. Um, is uh, was an idea ahead of its time, and then uh, ironically, or not ironically, but 
not unexpectedly, he's an investor now in Yplan, which does more or less what lastminute.com does, but on the mobile, right. because it's built specifically for the mobile experience. And that's the, that's the, the game changer, is that, is that now a lot of the things that were predicted back then just didn't really go anywhere. You, know, you were trying to surf the internet on a terrible old Nokia. Um, now you've got a real, a real device that you can, that you can use and actually you know, gives you real value in, in, in the form of uh, Android and iPhone particularly. So, um, it, 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 you know, what's the old phrase that you, you, it takes you know, much longer for predictions to play out? I can't remember the exact phrase, but uh, it, it takes a lot longer for things to play out. So... Um, uh, uh, and even in, even even then, you've got uh, wearable devices now coming through. Nobody has really sort of worked out where that's going, other than we've got sort of smart watches and yeah. you know things that track how many steps you take. What do you think of the Apple uh, Apple Watch? Uh, well, I mean, what do you think of the Apple Watch? <laughs> <laughs> it looks interesting. If I ever dated or hung out with someone with an Apple Watch, I'd slap them in the head. Because I couldn't imagine someone not being... I already hate it when people look at their phones. Right. And now a watch that's going to be buzzing when it's on their hand. But that's just my myopic view. What do you mm. think? Mm. Is it gonna, it, it is a, it's going to be the first biggest wearable, isn't it? It, it is. Uh, they said they could sell like what, millions and millions of those I think I think they'll do well. I mean, you've got to remember that these things... That the iWatch, iWatch and the Samsung Gear and, and things like that work primarily in conjunction with a smartphone. I, um, yeah. I don't actually have one. I don't have a, one right now, but I had a Pebble at one point. I left it on a plane, which was kind of annoying. Uh, so I had a Pebble watch. Um, and I found that when I was using it, and I'm sure this, is, this will be coming out when people start getting used to these things, is, is that it just allowed you to be a little bit more easygoing with what you were doing. And so you get a text message. Instead of having to pull out your phone and put in your PIN number, wipe yeah. it, uh, check what's going on, you just would just look at your watch literally and just go, Oh, I'll reply to that later. And it made you cu- curate things more in a more natural way. Yeah. Um, it, could, it felt like you could, it could fit into a life um, more easily somehow, um, rather than being effectively assaulted by this smartphone in your pocket all the time uh, and having to kind of pull it out all the time, which felt kind of just tired. It just gets tiring, basically, doesn't it? Uh, a friend of mine, of mine uh, Alex Tew, has just launched an app called Checky, uh, which sits on your phone and tells you how many times you check your phone a day. <laughs> oh, yeah, and the other day, mine was 75. So I haven't checked again. I'm like, maybe I'll just check again, see, how, see what I'm up to now. But it's just ridiculous how much you check your phone, right. especially yeah. in my industry. You mentioned mobile a couple times here. When you dressed that guy down on stage and said 2004 wants their pitch back, it was, I think, in, in, in response to his lack of mobile strategy. You know, Mashi's gotten caught up maybe because they didn't go mobile quick enough. Yplan got the mobile right. Mm. How, how much do you see companies today, the ones that adopted mobile being the winners? Are, are people even embracing, embracing mobile enough right now? Well, you just got to kind of look at someone like Zuckerberg just said uh, only a few months ago that we are a mobile-first company. Facebook is a mobile-first company. And, uh, and they basically build things now on mobile and then see how they can roll them out onto the, uh, the wider platform, the wider web platform. Yeah. Uh, they, don't, they don't build on the web first anymore. Um, and that's, that's, that's because they know that a billion people in India or uh, and the many millions in, in Africa are, you know, poised, poised to just come straight on. Um, and that's um, via smartphones. So uh, startups must think 
in that way themselves. Mobile first, even. If they're, if, assuming it's appropriate for what, you know, what market they're attacking or, or what they're doing, yeah. But, um, I mean, companies that, to me, that have website first and they don't think about a mobile product, uh, I, I often just ask them, why, really? Right. Why, why, why are you not thinking about mobile as well? It's kind of the discussion's party probably over at that point. Yeah. yeah, but, you know, at the same time, you know, you look at, um, are people over 50 purchasing on their phones? Do you know what I mean? So there's still this massive market, I think, for some products that um, it's not there. I think in the next five to ten years, it's going to be everything, right? Well, yeah, but you look at tablet growth has pretty much supplanted um, desktop and laptop growth. And the, some of the principal buyers of those tablets are people in the, in the, in the senior years. Um, it's just so much easier. Um, so uh, it, it's, a, it's a no-brainer. I mean, it's, it's barely worth arguing about, really. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Uh, Mike, it's sunny in California. Andy McLaughlin's out there climbing redwood trees on his weekends. <laughs> Why haven't you moved to California? Um, well... I happen to like Europe. <laughs> but, uh, so many people are kind of drawn to the, I'll live there for a the few Indian years. The Indian summer today is beautiful. I know, uh, we're having a great yeah. summer. But I mean, like, were you ever drawn to, like, I'm going to go do this for a few years, you know, for TechCrunch and all that stuff, or, or, um, or New York, or some type of... Well, I, I, I sort of mentally find myself going in completely the opposite direction. I was walking around Tahir Square in Cairo last year, uh, looking at the graffiti around the, Re- the Egyptian Revolution and... Uh, and, uh, and, and then uh, later on that day, going to a conference for Egyptian startups, and uh, and it would bump into I bumped into a guy who's building a startup around notifications for the iPhone uh, out of Cairo in in Egypt, and I just thought this is so much more interesting than being in you know on the Stanford University campus. Um, not to put those guys down, but uh, I, I guess that's what uh, what I like about that is is just finding that sort of diamond in the rough perhaps it's because i was when i was a when i was a, a drummer in bands and i also ran music newspapers and uh i used to f- like finding the new band as opposed to covering the one the band that was already well known so maybe it's something mental <laughs> i don't know what it is but that's kind of fun. I think it's sure. fun. And it keeps yeah. you interested, right? Yeah. yeah. And yeah. Do, you, yeah. do you think the value for investors is now moving that way as well, whether it's to Lisbon or Bucharest or even further into Egypt and that kind of thing? Um, well, actually, yeah. I mean, I just covered a company um, that I can't remember the name of it, sorry, but came out of an accelerator in Cairo called Flat Six Labs. Um, there's uh, Oasis 500, which is an accelerator out of uh, Jordan, uh, there's, uh, um, there's, 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 uh, uh, um, there's, I was in Bangalore, uh, earlier this year and there's a uh, start coming out of there. Well, well, the thing about it though, is that, I mean, Valley, entrep- Valley investors, um, typically won't invest companies that are, are more than a 30 mile drive away. Is that still the case? Pretty much. Okay. Um, and, uh, and that's. That will probably always be the case, and that's the case even for investors in London necessarily, if, because they want to be able to look into the eye of an entrepreneur and say, right, is it really going to work? You know, because you know when you invest in a company, it's a it's a long term thing. But um, but occasionally you will find things that people just go, boom, I'm in. And uh, last year I came, actually two years ago, I was in Ghana, Africa, in Accra, the capital, and found a company called Saya which was a little bit like WhatsApp, 
but specifically for Africans. It had a, the African sensibility about the app, built on Android. But it, they, these guys had built it for not just Android, but for feature phones as well. So it had like a little Java uh, stuff going on. Um, so it was like WhatsApp, but not for, for really throwaway phones that you can buy super cheap in Africa. And they ended up on the disrupt TechCrunch Disrupt stage and had it, uh, investors from London. Yeah. And so occasionally you will find that happen, definitely. Um, but I say to entrepreneurs in Europe, I always say, just like get on a plane, get out there. If you don't have any lo local VCs or uh, people to back you, get out there, get on a plane, show your wares to the, uh, these investors wherever they are. And um, in, the Lon in London, New York, San Francisco, in uh, Stockholm or Berlin, wherever they are, just go and hammer down the door because um, it, they're not necessarily going to come to you. Uh. Do you find that in some of the ecosystems, they're so things are going so well that often people are getting funded at an early stage almost too easy? So maybe the the, the better ideas and the better entrepreneurs are outside of those ecosystems, which is maybe what you're sort of seeing there. Um, I'm sure. Sure enough, uh, what is it like the Tennyson poem about uh, Ode uh, about uh, thinking about the grave digger who, uh, who who actually you know could be so much better more than he is um, um, but nobody knows who he is um, and I think that's what um, it's like finding an, opera, an entrepreneur in fact an out obscure place or a, maybe an emerging country um, uh, and you know the kid in, sitting next to Stanford goes and can just literally bump into a VC is the luck of the drawer isn't it unfortunately um, uh, but um, I think um you have to, you know, one of the disadvantages of the game that we, we're in is that, is that often people will invest in people that they know and they like and they, that mirror them. Um, you know, why you see too many, uh, you know, white middle class males invested in by white middle class males, unfortunately. Um, and it's something that, uh, you know, it seems to be sort of, it's a structural to some extent. Um, people have to break through that. They have to think outside those boxes. And, but not, and often you'll think, see uh, investors think, you know, I'm going to get out on a, on a plane. And I, I remember you talking to a, uh, uh, an investor I know in London who found a company in Philadelphia. And, um, and they said, uh, they went just literally, literally said, we're going to come over and see you. Go out over and see you got over to the guy and said, uh, have you seen any Silicon Valley VCs? And the guy in Philadelphia said, well, nobody. I've tried to reach out to those guys, but they won't come out and see me in Philadelphia. But this <laughs> investor had come out from London to see him. So, so some smart investors can think that way, definitely. Now, you co-founded Tech Hub. Uh, do you ever miss operating? I mean, you, re you report on this stuff all the time, and you write, what, six, eight articles a day? Or you write well, a lot. Okay. I, don't, I, write, I write as much as I can. <laughs> Seems but, like a lot. Um, do, do you yeah. ever feel like you want to get back and operate? Do you ever see an idea, even if it's for a media startup or not, that you're like, oh, I really want to go do that? Um, uh, I, um, if I come up with an idea about something, it's usually to scratch a niche. I don't think about it as a business. But I, I, I haven't, I'm not really, the, uh, I haven't come up with that many that I think I would ditch it all in just to go and become an entrepreneur. Uh, unfortunately, I'm a little bit too much of a magpie in the sense that I see something bright and shiny and want to go and look at it rather than concentrate on one thing at any one time. Um, uh, and also, I, you know, it's, it's a great privilege uh, that I have to be able to talk to such a variety of fascinating and interesting people. And, and when you get to that point, this is pretty good. Um, I think, though, that 
for me, like, I think there's still something to be done around location. I've never really seen a a really, not many location apps that I think are are really amazing. I like one at the moment particularly called TapTalk, which is a company out of Berlin, um, the app called Tap Talk, which is kind of sends a picture of you or what you're looking at to your friend, and then they, and it adds a, a picture of where you are as well, um, your location on a Google map, and then draws a nice line between you and the recipient. And that I think that's kind of fun because you can go, oh, oh, you're around the corner, you know. Uh, I think that's an interesting I- idea. Um, haven't been many location-based startups that have gotten tons of traction, but I think there's something interesting to be done there. Um, because I think also, it, it, going forward, how you connect people um, could be... I mean, you look, look at what Facebook did during the Arab Spring, for instance. Facebook and Twitter were very interesting about how, how they were used by revolutionaries and by, by protest movements in the Arab Spring. And, and doing something around location would be interesting. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. How did Disrupt feel this year as compared to like one year ago? Did it mm. Were there some themes that kept coming through on stage or did people feel a little bit more bullish about things or a little more conservative? Because you must, you really have the front row seat for all this yeah. stuff because you're talking to everyone, you're reporting some of it, but you must know the feeling. Well, I mean, I was a bit bowled over because I, we turned up and we had an all-hands meeting backstage before we went on, before the conference and uh, our uh, our... Our heads, heads, heads of staff, turned around and said, "This is the biggest disruptors ever. This is over four thousand people, um, and, previ- and this is not a, a cheap conference to come to necessarily. <laughs> so, um, it, you know, it's priced very much, you know, at certain people, at investors, at serious entrepreneurs, and um, and yet it's the biggest disruptor you've ever had. Uh, so, there's absolutely no. It's not going off the boil. This is not going away. It's just getting bigger and bigger." Um, one thing that we think, one, some of the themes that came out of Disrupt this year in San Francisco were um, very sort of enterprise, or tons of sort of like enterprise style companies solving um, problems for consumers, but in a, in a quite an enterprise fashion. Um, and, uh, 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 and sort of health and medical was also another kind of a theme that came through. Um, uh, I, I often think that there are some great European companies that. Uh, certainly will be bringing to Disrupt in London uh, in October 2021. <laughs> uh, not 2021, 20 to 21st, uh, which will be around health and medical. I think certainly Europe, European companies are very strong in that area. Um, uh, but uh, What would the theme yeah. be in 2021? Oh, gosh, yes. Yeah, well, isn't there a movie called that? Something? Isn't there a disaster Space movie? Out. Yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> Heaven knows, perhaps we'll be oh, yeah, dead of Ebola by then. Uh, um, yeah, New York ended or something. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, uh, but um, it's, I mean, it's funny, you get some, some of the conferences that we've done, we ended up with a, um, a, a self-balancing motorcycle uh, uh, <laughs> with gyroscopes in the floor that would right itself. If it got, if it got hit at 30 miles an hour, oh, it would I stay upright, yeah, yeah, which I've is pretty that. cool. The lit motor, uh, that, was, that was awesome. Um, and then some companies, you know, they look really great on stage sometimes, and then they you don't hear from them again. Right. Um, uh, it, just the luck of the draw to some extent, if they get... But the interesting thing is they often get funded, uh, whatever happens almost. So it's a, it's a very good uh, platform for, 
talking to investors. You know, this, this show here, we're always, uh, our tagline is, it's about the people, and we're always getting these stories, like, behind the people, because we think that people invest in people and not companies. Yeah. And I was wondering if it's something you've seen in Silicon Valley or over the years that even if the guy with the gyroscope motorcycle, even if the company dies, you might see him again, and maybe you'll interview someone in 2007, and you'll be like, there's something with this guy or girl, and then you'll see him again. Do you find that the, the same people can, t- tend to have success, or you see them over and over again? Is there a personality factor? Um, I think, you know, sort of card-carrying entrepreneurs are um, just can't keep away from starting something new. And, and whatever happens in the life cycle of their company, they, uh, the, you know, a couple of years in after they've been acquired or they've done an exit or, or whatever it is, they've, they're back with a new idea. And I, uh, I think that's the thing that, was, that became very interesting over the last few years is that, you know, back during the dot-com boom... Um, you saw people maybe do very well for themselves and they literally disappear. They go and buy an island or, or go and buy a house on an island and then you wouldn't hear from them again <laughs> virtually. Um, but now these days, uh, and I think certainly young European entrepreneurs also very much think that way. Uh, they come back again and again with new ideas. And that's exciting because you see re- repeat entrepreneurs, they know what they're doing, they've, they've uh, got experience um, and and it just makes them so much better. Um, uh, and we've still got many first-time entrepreneurs in Europe, particularly. Um, but they now have, like I said, but earlier about Silicon Valley being a state of mind. They've taken that on board very much, and they keep coming back with new ideas. And it's and uh, it's exciting to you know sit down with someone you've known for a couple of years and say, right, tell me, so John or Rachel or whoever you are, what are you going to do now? And that's kind of fun. It must be fascinating to watch those personalities. Mm. I think the, the, those second, third, fourth-time entrepreneurs, they're the ones that are really go after something bigger than just mm. you know, a, a profitable business that has good cash flow, right? I think mm. sometimes uh, they'll go after, they have the money, they might have the house and the mortgage, and they're okay, and so they yeah. try, try and to also really you got, down. You, you also, you watch these, some entrepreneurs, they go on through a journey, and they continue, effectively, they become family friends with some of the, their investors, yeah. and they just, you know, they, they go to the investor and say, hey, you know, George or, you know, whoever, uh, dude, right, I'm back again, here's my new idea, and they go, I'm in, you know, and they, they go on this sort of long, long-term journey together, um, uh, and of course, you get, and you get, I mean, in, you know, sort of titans of the uh, industries like uh, Elon Musk or Reid Hoffman, uh, get to the point where they're, they're practically their own VCs um, and uh, and they can drop m- a few millions on their new their own venture. Um, right. And that's that's a whole other ball game, of course. You know, our last three guests on the show have, have been women. Uh, we've had uh, Diane Perlman from Microsoft Ventures, and we had Sandy Carter from IBM, and we had uh, Claire uh, Cockerton from uh, Innovate Finance. And we always uh, talked about at the end, you know, women in tech, are they represented enough? And I wanted to bring up something uh, due to an article I saw on your Twitter feed like a week or two ago where you talked about harassment in tech. And I think it was an article you really didn't have to write, Mike, but you wrote it anyways, and you called out uh, a, an entrepreneur or a person. I call that an, an investor. Uh, an investor, sorry, for some bad behavior and some emails, and you had fact-checked it, and you just really called it out. And uh, I don't know if that was a hard article to write or it was an easy one for you, but you really came it out. It's the first time I've seen it addressed, and I just wonder if you could talk about that, that issue. Why does it come up, and, and why did you write the article? Well, um, it's all out there on the Internet, so I might as well spell it out. It was about a, an angel investor in Central Europe called Pavel Kurda, who... Um, had a meeting with a New York-based uh, woman entrepreneur 
in Berlin at a conference and then uh, only a few hours later uh, sent her a, a, a horrible email practically demanding sex basically and um, uh, and I think unfortunately uh, because of the nature of the technology industry there's so few women I think that uh, Paul, it's very unfortunate that women are often subjected to this this sort of thing, and I think you know they are uh, very stoic and uh, fantastic for, frankly, you know, ignoring these pathetic uh, overtures. Um, uh, but in this case, uh, the entrepreneur uh, Getcha Haas uh, called him out on it and uh, gradually, basically, started to tell people about it. Uh, uh, but not name, and then gradually it came out uh, in the press, and we wrote about it on TechCrunch. And, and I think it, the reason that we sort of went hard on that story, as it were, we, were we, we went in on that story, was because it was so well documented, uh, this uh, really disgusting uh, uh, overture uh, to uh, uh, s- someone who literally only a couple of hours earlier was just simply having an ordinary you know, business conversation, uh, and the assumption that somebody would even consider, you know, jumping into bed or like immediately uh, after, you know, literally having a casual com- drink or a conversation talking about tech startups or whatever, is it's just so pathetic. And it just happen- it must happen so often to women. It's 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 pretty awful. And but the reason we went in on this story was because it was incredibly well documented. The entrepreneur herself wanted to come out and just talk about it, and and it was a I think it was a, a positive thing because it it basically fired a shot across the bows of um, uh, men who act in a terribly sort of chauvinistic, old-fashioned nineteenth-century manner uh, and are disrespectfully uh, of uh, uh, women in our industry, and um, and and it was just so well documented that there was really no. We, we, could, we weren't going to stand idly by and, and just let, him, let the investor get away with this sort of behaviour. Um, and it's just a, it's a warning shot to say, you know what, guys, just behave and just behave respectfully. And, uh, you, know, b- um, you know, be a man, basically, and don't be an idiot. Right. And, I mean, it's an uh, industry that's already so stacked in one way that it's just like uh, it's, errant yeah. behaviour like this could go without being reported or anything. Nobody, nobody, and I think also Gacha herself said this, is that nobody is saying that, hey, you know, two consenting adults can't go off and, you know, if they love each other or they like each other or they like the look of each other or whatever it is, uh, you know, it's a free world. And, you know, if they're two consenting adults, they're two consenting adults. Fine. Uh, but just, you know, this pathetic uh, and, 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 and risible behaviour by some people should just be called out and just said, you know, just don't be an idiot, you know, and, and it's just wrong. It's just pathetic and wrong. And, and uh, it's, uh, it's just, it shouldn't be to- tolerated. And, and I, think the, I, mean, I think where we, the base argument about this is saying if you're uh, going to have a business conversation with someone, have a business conversation with them. And then if you want to talk to them in a more of a personal manner, then that's, that's what you do. And you do that, you know, like you would ask any guy or girl out in a, in a normal manner if you wanted to do that. Um, but... Um, uh, but uh, mixing the two, you know, you, people need to be a little bit aware of the some of the grey grey areas. It's, it's um, and um, uh, and you don't. Re- it, it basically devalue, devalues the conversation that you had earlier. So all of a sudden, instead of being an entrepreneur, you're being looked at uh, like a piece of meat, which is just 
you know, it's just stupid and wrong. So, right. uh, so we called him out on that. And I think a lot of people thought, well, fair enough. You know, it's important to, to raise this issue. Uh, let's be grown up. Let's, uh, let's be adult about this. And uh, let's move on and make it a better industry. Yeah, it makes everybody just a little extra vigilant. So thanks for writing that. That's really good. Um, just a couple more questions before we finish. Three companies in Europe that you're looking out for in the next 12 months that excite you. Oh, God. Yeah, not this question. Um, <laughs> Watch the NASDAQ start yeah, exactly. moving. Uh, uh, I won't talk about a company. I will talk about a movement. I uh, had a very interesting conversation recently. I went to a squat in the middle of Soho in London. Wow. And, we still um, have squats there. We still have squats. So <laughs> I'm not sure. I think it's being shut down this week from what I gather. Um, and, uh, and I sat on the third floor of a squat in the middle of Soho and had a three-hour conversation about cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin, and the future of society. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds amazing. And it, it was. And like a good podcast. I'm going to, yeah, well, I'm, I'm going to be writing it up. Um, uh, well, it's certainly the most newsworthy and most interesting aspects of it. But the, uh, I would definitely call cryptocurrency and, and, and Bitcoin, but just not just Bitcoin as a currency, but Bitcoin as a platform and cryptocurrencies as a platform as being really a, a Pandora's box, which we've, we've only barely begun to open. Um, um, this is going to be extremely interesting going, going forward in the next few years. Um, our entire financial system is set up in one particular way. Uh, capitalism pretty much won against the uh, Soviet Union, shall we say, uh, and, uh, and uh, against Marxist-Leninist uh, uh, philosophy. And, um, and that's the way the world works these days. But, but um, if there's one thing entrepreneurs do, it's disrupt and and there's some very interesting things which will be coming out of that, that world in the next few years, definitely. Um, but you, I think you wanted to ask me about particular companies. I, I think I already mentioned TapTalk. I like TapTalk. But I don't know if it's the next billion-dollar startup particularly. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. The crypto was a good one. So yeah. um, you know, we ask everyone here that, that comes a few questions at the end. So I'm going to ask you, Mike, uh, if you could make a phone call to the 20-year-old Mike Butcher, uh, get him to stop drumming for a little while, and give him a little bit of advice, what would you tell him? Um, I would say uh, don't uh, defer to your masters nearly so much, Mike. Um, don't, uh, don't listen to uh, anybody as much as maybe you might have done. Uh, just go and uh, be, be more confident um, of your own capabilities, your own abilities. Uh, and, and, uh, and, you know, if you have a vision, then go for it. Don't... Uh, uh, don't think that you have to serve time necessarily in, in one industry. I think we're now in 2014, obviously, and I think that the world has changed now where somebody who is uh, 20 can just go, I, I have the tools available to me. I have, you know, all I need now is a laptop, Wi-Fi, uh, power, hopefully, um, and uh, access to information and technology and access to networks. I think that when I was uh, 20, unfortunately, I didn't have access nearly to the, to the networks I could have had. Uh, and just, the the and human so, networks. Kind yeah, of. yeah I, I think that, you know, uh, not to put a, too fine a point on it, but I wasn't born with a silver spoon in my mouth. And so, you know, so I had to find, find my way in the world. 
Um, and, but I think the great thing about technology is incredibly empowering to people who maybe come from more disadvantaged circumstances. Uh, there was a great story just the other day about a, a kid in North London who's got a million followers on Twitch because he's an incredibly good computer gamer. And it's not something that he would have ever done, had been able to do, he, had he not had access to technology in the way that he has. So, uh, and I, so I think, yeah, just be confident and, and don't, uh, don't listen, necessarily listen to the people who say you have to serve time as much as maybe you have to. Good, think you do. That's good advice. Uh, on the same note, best advice you've ever received, business or personal? Um, uh, Shakespeare, I think, is the best uh, f- uh, advice I've, uh, I would uh, lean on, which is uh, uh, love all, trust few. <laughs> that's our first Shakespeare quote. There, that is our first yeah, Shakespeare and, and quote. And that's in 160 episodes of London Real. No one's ever quoted Shakespeare. That's very good, Mike. Um, last part of that question is to the 20-year-old that's listening to us around the world in China, Australia, uh, South America, who wants to be involved in tech. I know that's a general question, but what are some of the things they can do to be involved in their local tech scene or yeah. global tech scene? Well, guys, if you're out there and you want to um, make your tech ecosystem better, um, you should really... Um, Always think about the entrepreneurs are the ones really who should be leading your ecosystem. So there are often corporates and governments who want to get involved. These guys don't really know how it works particularly. The community is the one that should be uh, looked to and listened to. And the the community of entrepreneurs are the ones who should lead the entrepreneurial community, not not be led by some other entity. Um, Those are the people who should lead. Those are the ones who should put on the events. The entrepreneurs should, you know, uh, get together and, you know, get the bar, buy the bar for the drinks and and get everybody together and put on the hacker events and things like that. Those are the ones, because those are the ones who know how the the problems that they're trying to solve. Um, And uh, there's a, if you want to read up about it, it's Brad Feld. Brad F. Feld, F-E-L-D, has done some brilliant writing around creating entrepreneurial communities. Um, And uh, I commend him to you, here's some of his writings. Um, And also, don't be afraid, you know, you can email TechCrunch, tips at TechCrunch.com. We we all, the writers do actually read thousands, a lot of these emails that come in. Um, uh, If you want to email me, you can email me on MikeButcher at TechCrunch.com. Uh, reach out to me on Twitter, at Mike Butcher. Um, I get a lot of incoming from lots of different areas, but that's probably an easy one to do. So um, good luck. I hope you guys um, do some awesome stuff. Yeah, and watch Mike's 15-minute video about how to contact him. <laughs> Make sure it's a purple cow. Be nice. Yeah. Be persistent. Well, there's a few <laughs> other things. Like that. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Be human. And then, uh, what was that I say? Make, make a good product. That's what he was saying. Yeah, yeah totally. Don't, I mean, don't make a good press release. Yeah, the, the, yeah right. products are always, the product is, is king and queen of the industry. Fantastic. Mike, thanks so much for coming on. Uh, I love the fact that even if we're both, you know, reporting on things or in the media space, you know, we can have you on because it's, it's great to get your knowledge. And awesome. Thanks so much, guys. Stuff. Great fun. Yeah, it's no, it's been a pleasure. If you're listening to us on iTunes, you can see our extremely good looking faces on YouTube. So check out our channel. Send us an email at hello at siliconreal.com. Uh, like this. Share this with your people. Uh, suggest some guests. We've got some great ones coming up. Uber's here, I think, next month. And, uh, yeah, we, we're packed for like six weeks or something. Right. Yeah, we're busy, busy times. Uber, Uber wanted to come on today, but I said, Mike Butcher's here. There we go. 
And I'm like, I bumped well, Uber. You did. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm like, I'm not bumping Mike for Uber. I made that conscious decision. <laughs> there we right? go. I appreciate it. I, I know where my bread is buttered. I don't have the Mike Butcher app on my phone, but <laughs> yeah, be, it's how to hold your glasses. Like yeah, yeah. <laughs> he did that during the ice bucket yeah, yeah, yeah. challenge. Yeah, yeah. You know? Unfortunately, my, ice, my my glasses are under a taxi in Stockholm at this point, so I have to go and get uh, some more ones. So we're missing the look. Yeah. Um, excellent. As we say on Silicon Reel, it's about the people. Uh, thank you, Mike, and I wish you all the best. Cheers, guys. Cheers. All right, guys, take care. Innovate Finance is a new members-based organization devoted to technology-led financial services firms and accelerating their growth. Fall out of love with your own technology, your own idea, and fall in love with your customer's problem or your customer's need. We want to drive greater investment, drive more talent, drive more business opportunities into the sector. I don't want you to brand me as a woman in tech. I want you to brand me as a, as a founder, as a CEO, as a businesswoman, um, as a business person. <laughs>